Blog Talk Radio. of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and here we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I am looking here at the Blog Talk Radio chat room, and I'm wondering, can you hear me? Let me know if you guys can hear me. I'm showing I'm connected, and I'm not seeing anybody type to me in the chat room. Yay! Excellent. Awesome. Okay, good. So I don't know where you guys lost me, and I tried every conceivable way of just refreshing my connection to the old episode, but I had to scrap it entirely and start a new one. But I did that pretty quickly, right? Created the new one. That was not too bad. Unfortunately, with Blog Talk, this occasionally occurs. So like I was saying before I got disconnected, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. You'll see the title for today's show, Why Diversity Requires Sacrifice. I put diversity in scare quotes because I am taking the leftist connotation of diversity, which has to do with completely accidental characteristics such as skin color, the place that you live, the place that you were born, ethnicity, um, maybe what religion you were brought up with and things like that. And why every time somebody uses that term diversity as statement of a goal in some way, they are going to be asking you to sacrifice some life-sustaining value. And yesterday's jihad attack in New York City is just one example of that. We'll kind of spell it out a little bit more. It's a big and horrible example of it. I've got in the program notes a couple items at the beginning, which I'm going to divert to the end where I'm going to talk a little bit about why I went back to one day a week on the show, which I promised to do for you guys. But let's go ahead and dive in. The one thing I wanted to remind you of is that if you wanted to talk to me, not only should you call the number, which is 760-888-5817, you should also uh, hit the one button and then it'll give me a little question icon that I could see that lets me know that you want to talk and not just listen. A lot of people call in and just listen, and that's fine too. So welcome to those of you who are doing that. That's that's not a problem. But if you do want to talk, you'll have to let me know. Uh, sometimes people in the ch- will say in the chat room, hi, I'm online and I want to talk. In that case, you're probably going to have to give me a prefix because there's a few people who are hanging out there as well. So it's better if you just press the one and give me your question icon if you don't want your prefix to be out there for your phone number. Okay. Um, so go to the blog, don't let it go.com. I picked out 
the latest article that we have on the scumbag jihadist who mowed down pedestrians and cyclists on a bike path in Manhattan yesterday, rented a Home Depot truck and then drove it in and proceeded to mow down pedestrians. Apparently, according to this latest article that I have, the article with the headline is, driver in Manhattan attack had been planning for weeks, police say. What they say that he did is that he followed pretty much to the letter instructions that ISIS had published in an edition of some horrible, disgusting publication that they put out there in the world, you know, just a bunch of trash and filth that they spew out into the world. Um, I'm going to tell you its name. Can't pronounce it anyway. Who cares? Anyway, they have called on followers to carry out a truck attack and to leave behind a note pledging allegiance to the terrorist group. Let's call them jihadists. New York Times, can you just wake up and start calling them jihadists like the rest of the civilized world, the world that wants to live? That would be nice. Um, So, yeah, he's just some pawn of pure evil. And his picture, I mean, it's disgusting. Um, The look and everything, I mean, just pure disgusting evil. Uh, don't even say his name. Why Why even talk about people's name? You know, you see the headline, who is whatever scumbag name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Why? It's not, it's not worth it. So here's this guy. He apparently himself had not been a subject of investigation, but people with whom he was associated were the subject of investigation. So he had come on the radar only because of the connection to people who had been subjects of investigation. If you go through, you know, they always go and they try to interview people who had been connected with him in his life. A lot of them knew that he was, you know, there was some problem that he had. They knew that there might be an issue with this guy. Although, you know, one guy who was this preacher, he he spoke at length, and he, but it was only on the condition of anonymity. But then he spoke at length. I, I don't get these people at all. But he, you know, I never thought he would go to this extreme. But he did say he thought that the guy had a character problem, as he put it. Um, he said, you know, I didn't hear him talk about killing people. You know, you don't know when somebody like this is just gonna have a, a screw loose and, and go to it. Uh, He was heavily critical of American policies regarding Israel, said another one. And who is this other guy that they interviewed him? Uh, Who is this guy? They talk about how he dressed and everything. A truck driver and local community activist in Ohio where the guy had lived, the scumbag had lived. So um, they said about him that he had a wife, no other family. He was from Uzbekistan and he would sometimes have a grandfather visit from Uzbekistan, but not parents. Um, Sometimes he was argumentative and aggressive and then started to grow out the stereotypical disgusting beard. Um, But then they say, oh, well, we didn't really think that he was a, a traditional Muslim. Why? Because a traditional Muslim does not use profanity, but this guy cursed. I mean, talk about, going on non-essentials they they also you know this guy also described him as someone who had quote monsters inside 
So this is not a situation in which they thought, oh, he was great. This guy said, quote, and um, Muminoff is, is the guy's name from Ohio. He says, I always thought deep in my soul that he would be jailed for beating someone or insulting someone. He had a vulgar character. So he'd come on the radar and there were people in his background who said, yeah, there is something wrong with him. He came over here, and this is how it ties into the issue of diversity, as part of the diversity visa program that we've had in the United States apparently since 1990. So we'll, we'll talk about that lovely program in a, in a second or two. But how is it? that time after time, these people who have connections to those under investigation, that there isn't more of a red flag put up. I mean, we have the NSA out there and the NSA is gathering all sorts of information about all of us, but they are not gathering the the right type of information. They aren't specifically targeting people like this scumbag in in time enough to stop attacks like this. And why? You know, because of profiling. I saw another story. It said that the mosque that this guy went to in New York was also the subject of investigation. But we have essentially hogtied intelligence agencies who are not able to do the background investigation required to find out all this stuff about scumbags like this guy in advance. And it's it's really horrible. Uh, Josh in the chat room says beards are disgusting. I don't know if all beards are disgusting, um, but the type of beard that this guy has is disgusting. You guys, I'm going to have to uh, have you guys hold on for one second. I will be right back. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I got to have you hold on. Okay, you guys, I am back now. John in the chat room says, I've grown a full beard over the last year. Yeah, no, it's not the issue of a beard. It is the type of beard that this guy has. I'm assuming, John, that the type of beard that you have is not the same as our scumbag. Craig in the chat room says, the NSA has other priorities. You know, I I think that NSA is the, um, the tool of whoever is in power politically right now and that, you know, they're collecting all kinds of dirt on everybody so that it can be used against us and all the other stuff. We'll, we'll bracket that because we're going to be talking more about that as the Carpenter case gets closer to hearing the Carpenter case, which is the one involving the cell phone location data. is going to be heard by the Supreme court on November 29th. There is an opportunity for the Supreme court to, you know, drastically cut back on the third-party doctrine that makes all this NSA bulk surveillance illegal, excuse me, makes it legal. It's currently legal, technically. It'd be nice to change that. But yeah, you know, if the NSA is able to investigate and now the New York Times is able to figure out, oh, there's all these connections to these existing terror suspects and everything else, why aren't we targeting? We aren't targeting because of our political politically correct culture, the one that is taught to value, quote unquote, diversity. Uh, John says that my daughter says I need to shave it. You know, there are people who have different opinions. There's one thing about whether, you know, it's, it's attractive aesthetically, but one thing is that 
that particular type of beard that this scumbag has is a trademark. Not everybody, obviously, who wears that kind of beard is a scumbag jihadist, but there is a high number of these scumbags who wear exactly that type of unruly, very unattractive, gross beard. Josh is just saying no to beard. This this is just arbitrary aesthetics in in my view. But this is there's there's not even a style or it's just this unkempt, horrible, gross like very. It's a very nihilist beard that those guys wear. And I'm guessing that anybody who's listening to my show is not wearing the the nihilist beard. That's what I would call. It. I would call that the nihilist beard that this guy has. Um, yeah, nobody who was my show. You know, it's, it's funny because Rand was against beards. And so I have in my mind this story that Leonard Peikoff had told me about beards. And uh, in the 70s, there was, you know, there's been so many iterations of are they going to make Atlas Shrugged into a movie or miniseries or whatever. And there was one round in the in the 70s. And, you know, it got to the point where they were actually in a room full with attorneys and they're talking about a contract and everything. And Rand at that time, she was insisting on having certain amounts of control over how Atlas Shrugged was going to be made into miniseries movie, whatever it was. And apparently so she's in this room full of attorneys and she's telling them, um, you know, that none of the heroes in Atlas Shrugged are supposed to have beards. She didn't like beards. And all the attorneys, because it's like in the 70s and they all had these beards, and all the attorneys who are around her, like dutifully writing down, you know, what it is she wants in this contract, they all have beards. And she's saying, nobody heroic in this movie should have a beard. It just what a, an image that must have been. So, yeah, so I'll call that the nihilist beard. Uh, you know, people have different preferences about whether they like beards or, or not, but certainly. Ugh, you don't go near anybody with that disgusting Neilis beard that those guys wear. So let, let's talk about this program that brought him over. Um, I mean, that's that's one thing that we want to explore a little bit. It is called this Diversity Immigrant Visa Program. And you may have seen Donald Trump tweet about it this morning and he's pinning it on Schumer. I think he's trying to go back and forth with Schumer because he wants to get something out of Schumer. So he wants to put Schumer on the defensive and start showing him what sort of pressure he can bring to bear on Schumer there in his home state and all this stuff. So what is this program? They call it a green card lottery. And, you know, I have a friend on Facebook who was saying this morning, I don't know if it's literally true saying I have to wait 50 years to get a green card and this scumbag uh, he didn't say scumbag I say scumbag uh, this scumbag gets a green card how is this possible it's because of this so-called diversity immigrant visa program and you will not believe how completely irrelevant to anything regarding human value this visa program is green card lottery they say the United States congressionally mandated lottery program for receiving the U.S. Permanent Resident Card. Immigration Act of 1990 established the current and permanent program. It's administered by State Department, blah, blah, blah. It makes available 50,000 permanent resident visas annually 
aims to diversify the immigrant population in the United States. How? By selecting applicants from countries with low rates of immigration in the five years prior. So the idea is in the five years prior, we haven't had too many people from here. And then you say, okay, we're supposed to be the melting pot, I guess. Is that the rationale? So let's get these people, you know, these countries of low rate of immigration. You think, okay, maybe. But, you know, first of all, well, let's just go on. Let's go on to see. Okay, so how is it that you select, right? What, what do they mean by countries with low rates of immigration? So you have to read on to figure out what they mean. What do they mean countries with low rates of immigration? They say this. They say applicants, if you're going to enter this lottery at all, you must have been born in an eligible country. Born in an eligible country. If selected to qualify for the visa, then you must have been completed the high school and everything else. But who cares about this? Very minimal requirements in terms of substance. They say eligibility is determined by the applicant's country of birth. Country of birth. In some cases, the applicant may use a parent's or spouse's country of birth instead. So not even have been born there at all. Not even the connection you know, essentially coming out of your mother's womb in a particular country. It could be your parents' or spouse's country of birth. And then listen to this. The country of residence or nationality is irrelevant. So, I mean, think about what diversity. So here it's diversity of, you know, birthplace. Diversity of birthplace is what we're looking at here. What might you be trying to achieve if you're trying to bring in people into the country by diversity of birthplace, you'd say, well, birthplace might be a proxy for a certain set of ideas or experiences that somebody was exposed to. And then they could bring that set of experiences and ideas to the United States and contribute to the melting pot, you know, different experiences, different ideas would be better to have here. And so let's use this birthplace. But the problem is the way that the rules are formulated here, you don't even get that, right? Because they say that you don't have to have lived in your country of birth for any set period of time. Country of residence or nationality is irrelevant. It's just did you exit your mother's womb in a particular place? If so, then you're eligible for our random lottery. And then we think we're achieving something representing a human value by picking immigrants according to this process. It is ridiculous. Now, you know, let's leave aside the fact that suppose the person was born in a particular country and then also lived there. So at least they were exposed to whatever set of ideas or experiences you think it is that you want to have in rich. But, you know, even if you think about it that way, even if the rules had required that, this would be wrong, completely wrongheaded. Why? Because the fact that a human being was exposed to some set of ideas or experiences doesn't mean that they have integrated those or process those, conceptualize those in any way that's going to be useful to anybody when they come here. Um, the, you know, the other thing too is that if you just look at 
on its face here. They say five countries that people haven't come here from. Maybe those five countries are bad, you know, countries with low rates in the five years prior, whatever those countries are. Maybe those are countries in which most of the people are indoctrinated into horrible ideologies like jihad. Why would we want them here anyway? So this is a completely wrong-headed, horrible program. You can see that it all just depends on, and you know, I've just got the Wikipedia entry here, but let's take it at its word that it's, it's probably accurate. Birthplace. Where did you exit your mother's womb? That is irrelevant to anything that would contribute, for example, to productivity at Apple, right? You know, Tim Cook at Apple, he says that they value diversity there. And there was that whole thing where their diversity officer at Apple got in trouble because she was saying that you could have the diversity that's a valuable type of diversity. You could have that if you had 12 white guys sitting in the room, you could have diversity, the type of diversity that's a value. And what kind of diversity would be a value? to a productive process, to talking about, you know, for Apple, for example, what sort of design of the new sexy iPhone is going to be the, um, you know, the most attractive, the most useful, the most intuitive, Uh, you know, what design, what user interface, where should we put the buttons, what sorts of features should we make available, Um, you know, what sort of defaults, when you update your operating system, should we set? <laughs> I just had, you know, I updated my operating system on my iPhone recently, and I found that some of the defaults that they put in a different way were not the way that I like them. But, you know, somehow somebody there at Apple thought that that was the best way to do it. They have people who, you know, make these sort of decisions, and it could be that people, with, you know, that come from a variety of backgrounds and, sets of experiences and ideas and everything else, having them all try out the software, the design of the hardware, the phone and everything else, having all those people give their input could be a valuable thing. But the mere fact that somebody was born in some different place doesn't mean anything. You know, again, they talk about the country of residence or nationality is irrelevant. So the, you know, person could have, been residing in England and maybe in the last five years we've had tons of immigrants from England and the immigrants who have come from England they haven't contributed that much in terms of the very different types of experiences in fact what did I have with someone from England recently they were just defending their socialized medicine and they had absolutely no argument as to why I had a moral duty to provide health care for anybody else but they just kept asserting it and said that I had a defective core in my moral being or whatever it was um zilch no no different ideas nothing of value at all that the whole discussion went back and forth and the person just kept repeating themselves and there i didn't learn anything about why this person thought i had a moral duty they just kept asserting it it's self-evident that you are morally corrupt and, and valueless oh okay well um have a good night right so there's nothing there's no real diversity here at all diversity of any sorts of ideas or experiences that are assimilated and could be brought to bear on a process that creates values that sustains or enriches human life that's the type of diversity that would be valuable but the type of diversity that these guys are talking about 
is racial, ethnic, religious, sexual orientation. That's what leftists are interested in. And all of those things might at best be proxies for the real diversity that we want to get at. But the real diversity that we might want to get at as producers of real values for the real world, for human beings, that kind of diversity is not of interest to leftists. They are egalitarian nihilists. And as Josh in the chat room says, we could just call this a nihilist immigration program by nihilist people who just want to destroy human values, that they are just out to destroy Josh says, diversity of operating systems. There are. There are a variety of operating systems out there that you can choose from. You can choose the Android and whatever, the Windows, Google, Android, Windows. But Apple, to me, it's one that I feel at home with, and so I'll I'll keep doing it. Yeah, I have my little frustrations here or there when they update. I have my skepticism about the post-jobs Apple ability to continue to give us wonderful products, but so far I've been pretty happy. So I'll I'll stick with it. Um, So what do we do here, right? You know, what is it that we should hope for in the wake of this jihadist attack? Trump has been tweeting a whole lot about it. And one thing he has tweeted about is getting rid of this diversity immigrant visa program, which I think would be a good thing. As I said, if I sit here and look at this and I see what the rules are, There is no reason to think that selecting immigrants this way would provide any value whatsoever, even if you add as a layer on top of this the extreme vetting or whatever it is that he calls our screening program today, you know, you would not select immigrants if the, you know, you're selecting. Should we be in the business of, quote, selecting immigrants at all? I've talked about what I think the proper immigration rules should be before. I think if you're going to keep anybody out, then you should keep them out on the basis of something that has to do with individual rights, the principle of individual rights. And it has to be better than just something that has to do with you have to determine if you're going to keep somebody out that this person poses a real threat to the rights of United States citizens. Uh, Do I think that you would keep out somebody like this scumbag on the ideal type of immigration program that I would impose? Certainly. Um, But there's other things, you know, and and again, I've seen out there on the Internet misrepresentations of my view, misrepresentations of your own view. People are just really vicious out there. I saw some tweet yesterday from some jerk I had to mute. He said uh, after I tweeted something about the jihad attack, and we'll go through some of the tweets that I did in a bit, but um, I tweet something and then he writes back, thanks, your own. <laughs> like, somehow your own was responsible for the immigration policy that brought this scumbag over. I assure you, whatever you think your own's views are on immigration, he would never set, you know, be in favor of setting up a random lottery based on, quote, diversity of the place at which a person exited its mother's womb and had nothing to do with residence or anything else. That is ridiculous. And the idea that you would favor or prioritize countries just because people hadn't come there and you wouldn't look at, for instance, the, you know, jihad threat 
coming from those countries. It's ridiculous. Both your own and I are perfectly amenable to discussing how many Muslims need to be excluded from this country because Islamic jihadism, as Camille Paglia calls it, which I think is a decent way to do it, Islamic jihadism is a real threat to anything representing Western civilization. And we have a complete right to keep people out if we're not able to adequately screen away the risk of a jihad threat. And if we end up having to exclude some innocent Muslims, because I know, I mean, there are, you know, I'll, I'll be clear again. Um, and this is what I talked about in my tweet yesterday. Islam is a motivation for these people. It is true that many people who call themselves Muslims do not take their religion seriously. But if you read that Quran, there are plenty of goodies offered to people who join in violent jihad in order to achieve Islamic dominance in the world. Those people are offered all sorts of things in their world, we'll call it. I wouldn't call it heaven. Ugh. But um, in any event, it's there. It's in their doctrine. A lot of people do not take it seriously, but too many of them take it seriously. It is a real risk. And so, yeah, because it is a real risk, we have this whole culture that is at war in the sense of intends to kill and do this garbage that from yesterday. I mean, ISIS is calling for exact, you know, exactly the type of attack that happened yesterday. Yeah. Keep a whole bunch of these people out. Why? Because we can't adequately screen out for this risk. If we are keeping out some innocent Muslims in the process of that, then that is actually the fault of ISIS and, and the other jihad groups. That is not our fault. We are entitled as Americans to do what is necessary to protect our lives with minimal risk to our to our citizens minimal expense and everything else so yes we are open to people who want to come here and live a peaceful life there is currently a war within this culture against us and you know by war i mean that they intend to use violence against our our citizens anybody who promotes a western way of life so yeah Keep, keep a bunch of them out. Exactly what those rules would look like and exactly what countries and where the risk exists and where can we do some sort of adequate screening or not, we can debate about that. But the fact that I don't agree with whatever your evaluation is, you say anybody who's got any significant Muslim population anywhere, just keep them all out. And in fact, you're a xenophobe and you want to keep a whole bunch of other people out too and you're some sort of a racist, whatever. I, I'm telling you, don't misrepresent me and say that I'm against keeping Muslims out on the grounds of protecting us from jihad. Don't say your own is against it, because he's not against it either. Stop misrepresenting us. Okay, that's my rant for today. Um, certainly, your own would never be in favor of this nihilist random selection program. I wouldn't ever be in favor of it. It is horrible. So then the question is, then the question is, who, who's this? Is Amy being brainwashed by your own? I, I don't understand. I, I can't be brainwashed by anybody. It's it's ridiculous. Um, okay, so you know, going back to this, what do, where do you go from here, right? Where do you go from here? Trump says, let's get rid of this. 
let's get rid of this diversity immigrant visa program. And I would say, yeah, sure, let's get rid of the diversity immigrant visa program. What do you put in its place? And that's why I didn't tweet back to Trump earlier today. I mean, I agree with this, but what I don't agree with is what he wants to put in its place, which is one of these very selective so-called merit-based programs. And in those programs, you get a certain number of points because you come from certain countries and you have certain degrees and you have certain types of experiences. And I've looked at, you know, different countries around the world that have this type of, of program. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, in our country, we have a shortage of these types of professions, uh, people who work in these types of professions. And so if you happen to have experience in these professions and degrees in these fields, then we're going to give you extra points. We're going to move you to the front of the line. That's the sort of thing that a merit-based immigration program looks like. Now you could say, well, if you're going to restrict the permanent resident visas to 50000 a year or whatever it is, then isn't it better to select those based on merit versus this random so-called diversity lottery? And I would say, yes, sure, definitely. Let's select it based on merit. But I disagree with the idea of restricting the available permanent resident visas to 50,000. I don't necessarily want to bring a whole bunch of people in and make them citizens right away. But at the same time, why you know, it's, it's arbitrary to restrict to 50,000. Now, you could say, well, how many can you actually adequately vet and process a year? And who is going to pay for that? Maybe we should start making the payment for the vetting process be on the immigrant themselves. And I know that they have to put a certain amount towards the process. I actually should try to learn a little bit more about how much of the expense the immigrants have to pay. But we shouldn't be out of pocket. The people who want to hire them, the, you know, the immigrant, the prospective immigrant, him or herself should have to pay all of this. And then just let whoever can jump through the various hoops, show that they aren't a risk and who wants to work here and who can pay the fees for the screening, let them come in. Don't have this arbitrary 50000 whatever it is. And I'm sure the 50000 is paid by you and I as, as taxpayers and stuff. Get rid of that system. Make it so that it's paid for by the users, the people who are benefiting from it, and don't put arbitrary caps on it. That's the way that I would want to do it. So that's why, you know, am I going to go and tweet to Trump and say, oh, yeah, merit-based over the current – yeah, merit-based over the current is an improvement. It is, but it doesn't make me excited. And I'm not going to, you know, sit there and, and take up the whole immigration topic necessarily on a tweet, 140 words. So, yeah, I, I didn't react, but it would be good if he's able to do it. We'll see if he's able to do it, A, because I don't know that the leftists that he's up against are ever going to learn and they're going to stand in his way and court challenges and everything else. That's some of the stuff that he has faced since he's been in office, trying to do you know some decent things. Um, and the other thing that's going on with him, not just that there's this leftist opposition, he's got this shadow over his administration because of the whole Russia thing. And there seems to be a little bit of there there as well. Hmm. 
Josh in the chat room says, put in the merit-based program extra points for the horse and buggy entrepreneurs from the Middle East. I don't know. Craig in the chat room says, presumably Congress will not do away with the program. The question is why? What is their real motivation for it? I would say the egalitarian nihilist motivation, because if the real idea is that you want to spread out over the world, the, um, you know, the, where the immigrants are coming from, but not even where they're coming from, just their birthplace or something. This seems like exactly the sort of Rawlsian egalitarianism that a leftist would go for this diversity immigrant visa program. It is completely irrelevant, but they say, okay, you know, you can't choose your birthplace or anything else. We may as well just give this random lottery out there. And, and like I said, it's, they, they try to say it's a proxy for something of value, but it is, it is not, even on its own terms. The birthplace is not any place that you ever have had to have lived or gained any sort of real-world ex- experience from. You know, imagine, you know, Ted Cruz was born in Canada, but I don't think he ever lived there. Rob in the chat room says, yeah, ultimately the motivation is sacrifice. Yeah, you know, the idea that America it, living here is is a great opportunity. It's so funny because leftists will be the first to bash, right? But the leftist politicians are also the people who want to share the value that is the United States. They bash it, and then they're going to share the value, spread it out over. Now, the other thing is, is, is it could be pure nihilism as well. They say, well, America has this Western culture that has a certain set of values that have made human life wonderful. And there may be a bit of resentment in this willing, you know, this wanting to destroy that is motivating bringing people from places who, you know, where they haven't come here before. Uh, It could be proxies for people in their view who want to destroy America in some of their views. It's, It's hard to imagine that somebody would want to do that, but I cannot fathom why this is the way that you would select. Like I said, if you're, if you're going to limit it, I like the merit based. If you're going to limit it, I disagree with the idea of limiting it to 50,000 in an arbitrary way. Obviously everything in the world that ever exists has to be limited in some sense. You can't have an unlimited flood of immigrants here because we do need to screen them. Borders need to be a meaningful thing at the same time to have some arbitrary limit and then to dole out your quota on that basis. It's, it's truly revulsifying. Yes. And in this case, it did a sacrifice. This scumbag who mowed down pedestrians in New York yesterday came here and got a green card on this program. And if you read that article that I was reading from earlier in the New York times, he was a horrible, icky person, and there are plenty of good people who have been waiting to get their green cards. This friend of mine on Facebook said he's got a 50-year wait. I don't know if the 50-year wait was a literal thing, but you know, imagine waiting for decades to get a green card only to have a scumbag like this who murdered Americans get it way in advance of you. That is horrible. So in that sense, it would be an improvement if Donald Trump can pull it off 
and actually get rid of this program, I would be in favor of it as long as we have something that is more merit-based in its place, you know, as an interim, that would be okay. But if then he uses this as an excuse to completely close off immigration entirely, you know, he's going to protect American jobs in the process and everything else. I think that would be a true tragedy, you know, to, to react to this atrocity in a way that swings entirely the other way and shuts it off. I would say at the very least, let's keep the number of immigrants coming in at the same level, keep it the same, but then go ahead and go more towards a merit-based program. That's fine as well. I just think that a lot of the so-called merit-based programs don't necessarily reflect what types of people would be a valuable addition to our economy. There's too much opportunity in a so-called merit-based program for lobbyists and, and things to, to dictate who gets to come in and keep out other people because they want to keep out competition. And it's, it's a whole can of worms that you're opening there when you do the selection and, you know, that politicians and bureaucrats are going to have the power to decide what constitutes merit. It's, it's a can of worms. It's better than this, probably, but it's, it's a whole nother can of worms. Let me take a quick musical break, and I'll be right back, and we'll continue on. As I said, go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. Check out program notes. We're going to continue with the discussion. If you want to talk, press 1 when you call in. The number to call in is 760-888-5817. Okay, everyone, I am back. And as I said, if you go over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you will see all the different things that I've got lined up in the program notes. Let me make sure that the one that I want to talk about next is what I've got next. Yeah, so I've got, I've explained to you how disgustingly nihilist the diversity immigrant visa program is. And yes, it'd be better in some ways probably to go to a merit-based system, but the concern is, you know, again, the cronyism, the lobbying activity that's going to go into figuring out what constitutes merit in that context, that's going to happen. And who knows what Trump will do? Maybe he's going to use this as an excuse to swing the entire other direction and close off immigration entirely, which would be horrible because we do want to bring to our country the real type of diversity, which is a diversity of experience, the diversity of ideas, people who want to contribute to producing values that sustain human life, that enrich and enhance our lives as well. And that's what traditionally in our country immigrants have always done. A lot of you know people are objectivist fans of Ayn Rand who listen to this show. She herself, an immigrant, from Russia, a tremendous diversity of ideas and experience that she brought to bear and brought these ideas to us that, that we benefit from. We don't want to close that off. And that's a fear in the wake of a jihad attack like this, that, oh, let's, let's keep everybody out. No, let's 
be rational. Let's keep out the people who pose a threat. Let's do a better job of that. And more importantly, let's not be politically correct in either excluding people from consideration for immigration at the outset or after you've let people in, right? Because no screening process is going to be perfect. After you let people in, let's allow the FBI and the other intelligence agencies to actually screen and, or, you know, to, excuse me, profile, profile is the word that I wanted. Let's allow them to profile. Let's allow them to do more in-depth investigation in mosques. Maybe there's some mosques that we need to close down in our country. You know, people again think I'm against this kind of stuff. I am not. If you haven't been listening to my show for a long time and you've just listened to other people lump me in with people who don't understand the Islamic threat or something, I've interviewed Robert Spencer. I've read the Quran from cover to cover. I know that this is a real threat and there are things that I believe are appropriate to do in that context. So if we have a mosque in the United States that is preaching jihad, yeah, close that thing down. And do we have a real reason perhaps to single out for investigation mosques? Sure we do. We need to not be politically correct about this. But this is another way in which the leftists valuing so-called diversity has made us sacrifice, not just in an immigrant selection program, this diversity immigrant visa program. The other side of that coin is that here we are in the United States not you know, profiling when we are investigating people. They're not allowed to profile based on religion or ethnicity or anything else. They should be allowed to do it. Why? Because we need to conserve resources. There is a real war going on. I'm not saying go lock people up in concentration camps or this, that, or the other, but you should realize that there are way too many people who are motivated by Islam in conducting these sorts of violent attacks that we saw in New York City yesterday. And if there's going to be a little bit of extra scrutiny on you because you are a Muslim, that's something you should understand. You should help root out that element within your religion. Rob in the chat room says, I just saw a story about Trump blaming his son-in-law for giving him bad political advice. Both hilarious and sad. Yeah, again, there are some things that I hope we get from Trump. I just don't know what we're going to be able to get from him, A, just because of his lack of thought process, and B, because there is this whole shadow over him. I don't know how effective he's going to be able to be. I would love to get the tax cuts, and now he's talking about getting rid of the Obamacare mandate, which you know could play out well or, or poorly. Who knows? Um, you know, Josh says, what law would you use to shut down the mosque inciting violence? Yeah, you'd say that, that, that basically what they're doing is inciting some sort of a conspiracy to harm Americans. That's really what they're doing. They're inciting a conspiracy to harm Americans. If you had somebody who was distributing this ISIS publication in a mosque saying you should go out and do this and mow down the pedestrians and make sure to write your little note pledging allegiance to ISIS and leave it on the side of the road or whatever. Yeah. That's what you'd be doing. Rob says, don't sacrifice Amy on your own. Uh, some, some people have, you know, completely 
tune me out as well because I'm a critic of Trump. We'll talk about that towards the end and stuff. But uh, that's that just goes with the territory. It's life. Um, it's not a sacrifice, right? It's just people deciding that they they don't want to listen. I mean, you could say that they're sacrificing for themselves because they're choosing not to listen to ideas that would be valuable in their thought process. Maybe in that sense they're sacrificing, but they're they're, they're sacrificing within within their own life. You know, if they if they if they make that choice, they're not going to be of value to me and you're wrong. Um, okay, so let me get to another way in which diversity is causing sacrifice as well. So we've, we've talked some about the immigration side of it, diversity. Now law enforcement as well. Law enforcement is prohibited from profiling. And then, of course, there's the issue of diversity in the workplace, right? So-called diversity in the workplace they, in our country, all the different states and the federal government and everybody else, they have these anti-discrimination laws. And it depends what state you're in. In California, I'm sure we have a bunch of anti-discrimination laws, layers of it on top of what we've already got at the federal level. One thing people need to keep in mind when, again, you're listening to your own and me on immigration, we're talking about having this very open immigration policy and that, yeah, we would let in theoretically, some Muslims from some countries. We wouldn't exclude every single Muslim. There are people who say not one Muslim. I'm sympathetic with that, but I don't think that that's necessary. You know, again, we could have a big discussion about that. I don't think that's necessary. I think you could let in a lot of people who call themselves Muslims. They don't take their religion seriously, and you'd have to figure out which regions of the world you can bring them from or not. But keep this in mind. In that society where I'm talking about, where we have this open immigration policy, I would have as you know, in conjunction with it, legalized discrimination, right? I would not have anti-discrimination laws. I would allow people in the United States who decided, hey, I don't want to hire a Muslim in my workplace because, yeah, I mean, I know that there's a lot of Muslims who are peaceful and they don't really do me any harm and stuff, but I just don't feel comfortable with it. I don't feel like I have the resources to pay for the sorts of background checks that I would like to do if I was going to hire a Muslim. You would let people discriminate. And if you did that, and then again, you also made people pay for the process required to screen and vet and come to United States in the first place, you would see naturally much less Muslim immigration because they wouldn't be able to find jobs here. You also wouldn't give them welfare and all these different things. Cause in England, one of the biggest problems is you've got these jihadists who have been living off the public dole in England. And I'm sure this is true in some other European countries too. Don't do that, right? Don't let them have public assistance. This whole welfare, you know, scam, allow discrimination, allow people to say, no, I don't want to, sell my house to a Muslim. I don't want to rent my house to a Muslim. I don't want to rent an apartment to a Muslim. Um, Let them do that. Let them make that choice. I would say today, unless you think you are really good at figuring out which Muslim is, you know, essentially going to be radicalized is the way they call it. You know, which, which Muslim is going to be inspired by ISIS to, to rent a truck at Home Depot and go mow down a bunch of pedestrians. Unless you think you're good at that, 
maybe you decide, okay, I'm I'm not going to. I'd rather be safe. Now, you, you know, you can never be 100% safe when you deal with people, but I would allow discrimination. And yet here in our country, we say, no, it's diversity. We don't allow discrimination. You must hire people based, you know, with, without any consideration to ethnicity. In fact, maybe there's going to be quotas for people of certain ethnicities. Um, maybe there's going to be, you know, a particular scrutiny if you don't hire a woman, for example, or if you don't hire a transgender or whatever else it is. In our country, they say that diversity requires specifically trying to hire people from different religions, different ethnicities, different sexuality, sexual orientation, everything else. And what do we get from that? You know, at at the very least, right, you know, I'm talking about the jihad threat right now. um, But even if you're not thinking about a jihad threat, a threat of somebody, you know, in in Oklahoma, they they had some Muslim who was working in a workplace and he tried to behead a co-worker. I don't think he succeeded. We've got to have Rob update me on what happened. But I know this guy tried to behead a co-worker in Oklahoma. It's ridiculous that the sort of risk that people are forced to take in this country if they want to be an employer, that they cannot exclude uh, a Muslim. So that's com- you know completely unjust. So that just that alone, you could say, okay, it's a, it's a sacrifice. You are, in the name of diversity, forced to hire somebody that you would not due to anti-discrimination laws. But let's just talk about diversity more broadly, where they say, look, you must hire a certain amount of women who come through your door. Otherwise, we're going to think that you're discriminating against them. Uh, You must hire a certain number of transgenders or homosexuals or anything else who come through the door, regardless of qualifications. Otherwise, we're going to have to assume that you're discriminating. You have to hire people of certain races or ethnicities, birthplaces, whatever it is, you know, discriminate, anti-discrimination laws around will vary. But, you know, imagine that that's the thing in the name of diversity, you're going to hire based on those characteristics, those characteristics. Why would you say those characteristics? Well, some people would say those characteristics are a proxy for, diversity of experiences, diversity of ideas and everything else. But as, you know, the, the poor woman who was the vice president of diversity at Apple, I don't know if she's still working in that position. As she said, you could have 12 white men in one room and they could be a diverse lot. They all bring diverse experiences and ideas to a production process. The fact that somebody has a different sex, a different, um, you know, skin color, a different, they're brought up with a different religion, a different ethnicity, a different birthplace, different sexual orientation, that they, you know, decided to go through transgender surgeries and stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily bring to the table anything that's relevant to being more productive in a workplace. And so what are you doing? What are you doing if you are forced to choose employees based on those irrelevant characteristics of race, sex, sexual orientation, ethnicity, everything else, you are forced to sacrifice. You are not allowed to choose the candidate who, in your view, would 
have the best qualifications, bring the most relevant, valuable experience to bear to your production process. You can't do that. In the name of so-called diversity, you must hire whoever it is that the law says you would hire based on these irrelevant characteristics. And yeah, diversity requires sacrifice. It requires you not to choose whoever it was, you know, whatever candidate for a job or for allowing an immigrant into this country or for somebody who's going to rent an apartment in your building or anything. You can't choose based on your own best judgment. Instead, you must choose based on these so-called diverse characteristics, which have nothing to do with anything in the real world because they're, they're accidental. Um, Some people might say they're proxies for something, but you know, particularly in the the case of that stupid diversity visa program, the characteristic that they're choosing isn't even required to be held in such a way that could remotely be a proxy, right? You don't have to have lived in that country of your birth at all. So uh, it just shows you how ridiculous this whole process is. Yeah, but so it requires it requires sacrifice. Diversity today requires sacrifice in the context of immigration. It requires sacrifice in the context of um, law enforcement. And in that sense, let me just be a little clearer and spell it out because I said it, you know, you can't profile in the law enforcement context. That means you cannot discriminate in the law enforcement context that you have to treat all these diverse people equally. Um, You cannot discriminate. This is how diversity in that context requires sacrifice. And then, as I said, in just a normal workplace, even leaving aside the jihad threat, workplaces, as I said, apartment buildings, you're renting to somebody, whatever, you're not allowed to discriminate based on these different um, characteristics, and you're not allowed to actually forget discrimination. Suppose you're purely rational. You're not allowed to choose whoever it was who was your preferred employee or tenant or anything else. You have to choose according to a legally mandated set of arbitrary characteristics. If you don't satisfy some quota that's in some bureaucrat's mind, even if it's not explicitly down on paper, you have a sense as an employer, if you're Apple, if you're Tim Cook, you know, Tim Cook, you have a sense in your mind that if you don't have on staff at Apple a certain percentage of women, a certain percentage of blacks, a certain percentage of Muslims, If you don't have this on staff at Apple, you know that you're going to come under scrutiny from federal authorities in some way. Because certainly if you haven't hired that percentage, you must have discriminated in an unlawful way on the basis of sex, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, whatever. You know, pick your arbitrary characteristic. Diversity requires sacrifice in in all these realms. One thing that I've got in the program notes is an article. It's just actually an interview with Camille Paglia and some people like it. I think they were saying, you know, I'm only divining it because I, for the people who said that they really like this one in particular, that some people were saying it because she's remotely positive on Trump. She is kind of positive on Trump in a way that I would disagree with. So there's my disclaimer that she is, higher on Trump than I ever would be. Some of the things that she points out about Trump that she thinks are good, I would agree that those are good characteristics, but I don't agree with her that those outweigh his bad 
characteristics. And maybe I wouldn't necessarily even agree that he possesses the positive characteristics to the extent that she thinks so. So there's my disclaimer, re, her, and Trump. But the thing that got me into this article today, it's from the Weekly Standard, and it's, you know, Camille Paglia waxing on various topics. They asked her about the threat of Islamic terrorism, and they came into it from the terminology standpoint, does nomenclature matter? And she really doesn't talk too much about the nomenclature per se. She just uses her own term, which is Islamic jihadism, which I think is a valid term. I I like it that she's not creating some new Islamist or Islamism or any of those types of things, Islamic totalitarianism. She doesn't do that. So that's good. She says, um, you've nailed it about Western liberalism's obsession with language to the exclusion of wide-ranging study of world history or systematic observation of present social conditions. This, and these are themes that she's, every time you listen to her, she talks about this. She says that people have not done their homework, haven't done their research. They don't have the background in world history that they should when they decide that they're going to make value judgments about whether Islam could be the thing that's, that's motivating jihad. She talks about liberalism in the 50s and 60s. There they exalted civil liberties, individualism, and dissident thought and speech. Question authority was our generational rubric when I was in college, but today's liberalism has become grotesquely mechanistarianism. She says it's all about reducing individuals to a group identity, defining that group in permanent victim terms, and denying others their democratic right to challenge that group and its ideology. So you see she's talking about a different type of sacrifice that goes on here in the name of diversity. In Diversity, that whole term diversity, does reduce individuals to a group identity. It's a group identity based on those so-called diverse characteristics of race and ethnicity and religion and um, you know, sexual orientation, sex, everything else. Yeah, define the group in permanent victim terms. And the, here's the sacrifice part. Deny others their democratic right to challenge that group and its ideology. So she's talking about the cultural battle here. She says political correctness represents the fossilized institutionalization of once vital revolutionary ideas, which have become mere rote formulas. It is repressively Stalinistic, dependent on a labyrinth, parasitic bureaucracy to enforce its empty dictates. She says the reluctance or inability of Western liberals to candidly uh, confront jihadism has been catastrophically counterproductive insofar as it has inspired an ongoing upsurge in right-wing politics in Europe and the United States. So listen to that. She said, because liberals, Western liberals have defaulted on this, they have not confronted jihadism, that this has been the cause of this upsurge in the right-wing politics. She's talking about the nationalism, the racism, the xenophobia that you see as a, as a reaction in Europe to this. It's because the liberals have defaulted on their traditional values. That's the way she sees it. She says citizens have an absolute right to demand basic security from their government. She says the contortions to which so many liberals resort to avoid connecting bombings, massacres, persecutions, and cultural vandalism to Islamic jihadism is remarkable given, and listen this, 
given their, u- their usual animosity to religion above all Christianity. She says, look, liberals, you guys are critical of religion in general. You're super critical of Christianity, Catholicism. You're willing to go after everything. But no, you're not willing to go after jihad. And she says, this is notable. And then she says this. She doesn't necessarily attribute it to herself, but she just throws it out there. She says, some commentators have suggested a link to racial preconceptions. That is, Islam remains beyond criticism because it is largely a religion of non-whites whose two holy cities occupy territory once oppressed by Western imperialism. So, diversity, 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 causing sacrifice among liberals where they won't even criticize a totalitarian, violent religion, right? One that is is acting in a totalitarian and violent way today. Liberals won't touch it. They won't criticize it at all. Why? Because of, quote, diversity, skin color, or diversity of these territories around the world that were oppressed by Western imperialism. Anyway, so then her solution is that people should actually take comparative religion classes and read the holy books and stuff. And like I said, I actually have read the Quran from cover to cover, and I see in that book, I've seen in that book, not only that it's a ridiculous, I mean, you you just laugh at some of the stuff in that book, but the, the, the calls for joining the jihad, the promise of all the goodies that you'll get in the afterlife, if you join in, in a violent jihad, they're there. For anybody who wants to take them seriously, a lot of people don't take them seriously. And to those of you who don't take them seriously, don't take this literally. I say, God bless you. Don't, you know, don't take your religion seriously. I'm so happy when people don't take their religion too seriously, because in the end, all religion is going to call for sacrifice of somebody to somebody else. And I'm against sacrifice. It just so happens that today Islam is the one that a disturbing number of people do take seriously. And here is Camille Paglia talking about the fact that, unfortunately, it seems to be beyond criticism. And it's beyond criticism. Why? Because of our value for so-called diversity of race and apparently nihilist beards. You know, everybody wants to see those nihilist beards around. They're real trendy. Maybe there's some in some fashion ads or something. I don't know. Josh in the chat room says, police are not allowed to only scrutinize suspicious people. Yeah, I mean, those traffic stops that I've had to stop at sometimes, they'll just set up somewhere a stopping point, you know, like on a Friday night or whatever, and they will stop every single car and ask you a bunch of questions to see whether you're drunk. Couldn't they do a little bit better with some particularized suspicion? Craig says, you could just leave the country. People have talked about leave our country. I'm not yet convinced that life for me would be better off in any other place, but I am open to the idea, Craig, that at some point life for me is going to be better in a country other than United States. You know, like I said, I've looked at the immigration requirements of other countries. I've gotten that far at least before in the past. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, United States, there's, there's still quite a lot of values, and they still haven't 
yet shut down speech. I am hoping that we will get some sort of decent outcome in the Carpenter case. I, I have, I think, a reasonable hope that Gorsuch is going to continue in the tradition of Scalia and that we might be able to stave off the sort of social ranking and things that they're doing in China when they have access to all that data about all their citizens. We need to stop that here, and it would be great if we could do it. Rob in the chat room says, given the spineless Republicans in Congress, oh, the spinelessness that the Republicans in Congress are now demonstrating, what do you think the impact is going to be on the future of the GOP? You know, just this morning, or not, yeah, it was, it was, I was just getting ready for the show, and I was out on Twitter, and Ted Cruz, who's been one of my preferred politicians, he tweeted something about the tax cut. So let me get over to where I was on Twitter really quick. Let's see here. Okay, no, I don't want that. I'm sorry. Thanks to those of you guys who follow on Twitter and retweet my stuff, by the way. And I'm going to get into some of my tweets in in a second where I really appreciate some of the some of the backup that people give me with with the retweets. So thank you for doing that. Uh, yeah. So Cruz is out there. Oh, I'd only replied to him, so I didn't even retweet my reply. If you retweet your reply, apparently it's taken as you're really trying to make a point. So is retweeting favorably or saying something favorable? Trump. He says, "Real Donald Trump." That's what Trump goes by on Twitter. He says, "Real Donald Trump is exactly right. We should repeal individual mandate." unfair IRS fines on 6 million people. And he says, and fund big, bold tax cuts. And the tweet that he's responding to from Donald Trump is this. Trump said, wouldn't it be great to repeal the very unfair and unpopular individual mandate in Obamacare and use those savings for further tax cuts? Now, this is the deal, right? Um, I, I don't actually get how repealing the mandate actually funds a tax cut. Are we calling a repeal of the mandate a tax cut so that he can say he delivered on a tax cut because they got rid of the Obamacare mandate? And of course, whether that was even something that you were paying depends on whether you had chosen to go without health insurance, which I haven't. Although at some point I'm going to be, you know, the rates are so high that I'm going to say, wow, I think I'm just going to stick some money in a savings account and pay for health care out of my own pocket and do like a GoFundMe if I get cancer or something. It's getting ridiculous, the, the level of insurance that's out there. Sometimes you buy insurance these days only to get yourself in a, quote, PPO, preferred provider organization, so that you can get the preferred rate when you go. It's not like they're actually paying for it, but it's like you're buying a discount. Insurance, health insurance in this country is really ridiculous right now. But so, so here's the thing. Are we calling that part of our tax cut? And then they're funding a tax cut by getting rid of the mandate. It just doesn't make any sense because as as far as I understand, if they get rid of the mandate, it's going to bankrupt the so-called insurance companies. I don't even call them insurance companies anymore. They're like bureaucratic arms of the government or something. Um, They're going to go bankrupt, right? Because the mandate has forced people into the market and so-called spread the risk. So, you know, those people that have been covered by quote-unquote insurance with pre-existing conditions and stuff, the healthy people are subsidizing those people 
because of this mandate. If they get rid of the mandate, then there's going to be fewer people, fewer healthy people buying insurance. And so the insurance people are going to be left with only the expensive folks without the other repeal and replace provisions that they had. Because some of the repeal and replace provisions were going to allow the insurance companies to charge higher premiums to those who were more sick. What a concept. Uh, you know, allowing them to do that. So if all you do is you get rid of the mandate, you don't allow the insurance companies to charge higher premiums to those who are more sick, you're going to make those insurance companies go bankrupt. What happens when the insurance companies go bankrupt? They're too big to fail. The government takes over. Boom, single payer like that. Are they thinking this through? And then, you know, again, like I don't understand how that contributes to big, bold tax cuts. Now, does Cruz mean to fund the big, bold tax cuts other ways. And why is Cruz using the language about funding tax cuts at all? I think that's horrible. If you want to talk about funding a tax cut, I mean, it's an absurd way to talk about not stealing so much of our money. I say, how about, you know, yeah, get rid of the mandate, plus some spending cuts to help, quote, unquote, fund tax cuts that term fund it's disgusting and Cruz is using it and Cruz is supposed to be one of the better guys so yeah GOP largely hopeless um I don't know I don't know what the the future is oh Craig says you will not find enforced diversity in many other countries you can discriminate there's a value right there yeah just Jean says fund tax cuts with spending reductions that's exactly the reply that I sent out to Cruz I'll go ahead and retweet it now just to go as I don't think Ted Cruz, you know, he follows me on Twitter. Ted Cruz follows me on Twitter, but I don't know if he's ever read a single tweet of mine. I don't think it corresponds to that, but it would be nice. I'd like to talk to him at some point and get a get a better sense. But I've I've been disappointed with him in in a number of ways. It is it is kind of hopeless. Let's zoom over back to the blog and let me get to some of the tweets from yesterday because I had some better news. And I've got, according to my little stream, I've got 15 minutes left. So it's going to be a bit after the half halfway point of the hour. Why don't I give you my little quick musical interlude, and I'm going to come back and finish up with some better news, at least from my perspective, because of a little Twitter interaction that I had with Jordan Peterson. I'm such a geek. And I'll talk a bit about why I decided to go to the once a week on the on the show. I'll be right back. I've just got a few tweets and things to go through with you, and I'll talk about why I appreciate those of you who have gone out there on Twitter and, and done the retweets as well. So yesterday, you know, it's funny. I have, I have a friend who is training to become a Kanmari Marie Kondo certified organization consultant, and she's a friend of mine, and she's said, I'll use you as a guinea pig for my training if you want. I said, okay, sure. So she comes over and we talk for a long time and hang out and uh, go through, you, you start with condo, you know, going through your clothes and stuff and uh, we're having a good time. 
And I was just completely shut off from everything. And then I come back online and I learn about this terrorist attack in New York City, horrible, disgusting, scumbag jihadist. And one of the first things I see in my feed is Ben Shapiro reacting to Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour is a Muslim, I guess, supposedly feminist woman. I don't know a whole ton about her except for some of the horrible things that she said. And she tweets out there, you know, if you actually looked at her feed yesterday, her whole Twitter feed, everything was basically retweeting anybody who said, don't, don't pin this on Islam. Don't pin this on it. Oh, Islam is still good. Islam's great. Everybody who is basically saying, don't blame Islam for jihad, you know, the jihad attack scumbag yesterday, she's retweeting and she's tweeting out some, some stuff herself. So this is what one of the tweets she said, she said, every believing Muslim says Allah Akbar every day during prayers. We cannot criminalize, quote, God is great. Prosecute the criminal, not a faith. And then Shapiro responded, and it's, you know, it's witty, it's good. She, he, you know, he says, pretty sure we're mostly worried about the whole slamming a truck into civilians thing. Yeah, that's right. We are worried about that. But that doesn't really, in my view, respond to the substance of her point. So I went ahead and responded this way. I said, we need not, quote, prosecute a faith, right? Because at the end she talks about prosecute the criminal, not a faith. We need not, quote, prosecute a faith to recognize that it's been an all too common motivation for violent atrocities. So that was my response to her. And then I was posting that around. And then I was in a discussion with some friends on Facebook and and stuff. And uh, one friend had a little bit vulgar, but awesome response. And so I tried to encapsulate that in another tweet. And I had a really hard time condensing the following into 140 characters. I was really proud because basically the friend was saying, you know, you can choose to have uh, female genitalia. You can choose to be, you know, uh, Muslim or you can choose to have freedom. You know, you can't have all three of those at the same time in essence, my friends. So, okay, you can't have all three of those. It's, It's exclusive. But I also wanted to slam her for what I saw in her feed because I went back and looked at her feed and I saw that, you know, yeah, this atrocity happens. And the first thing she does, horrible woman that I'm not going to call the vulgar word that's in my mind. um, This horrible woman comes back and the very first thing she does is defend her religion. You know, heaven forbid anybody should connect Islam to jihad, which is connected to. So as I write to her, I say, your first response to this atrocity is to defend the religion motivating it, dash, a religion that forces women to live without freedom. And I had to include the word revulsifying. Revulsifying. So I can't even pronounce the word my mom coined. Revulsifying. So I had to put that in there. That was part of my 140 characters. Mandatory. I know not a real word, but that's what I put there. So, yeah, it forces women to live without freedom. If you as a woman are going to remain a Muslim, you will be living without freedom in some way if you're going to actually live as a Muslim. So I put that out there on Twitter. And then it turns out, as I'm zooming around on Twitter, in my feed right then is from Jordan Peterson, because I follow him. He had retweeted a Reuters story from Saudi Arabia. And it said that Saudi Arabia was going to let women 
enter sports stadiums in 2018. They're not going to do it now. Boy, you got to prepare for it. They're probably going to, it doesn't, I didn't actually even go read the article, but I can assume that they are going to make like a separate section for the women or something, right? Um, and they, they have these pictures of the women in the full hijab and everything. Oh my God. So yeah, what a concept. You're going to let women enter sports stadiums in 2018. That's just one tiny example of how Islam, this Sarsour woman's religion, restricts the freedom of women around the world. So, you know, I, I see this. And first of all, I reply to my other to Sarsour and put a link to this story in here. And I say, hey, this is just one small example. Hat tip, Jordan Peterson. And then I respond to it directly, you know, his retweet. And I say, what? What do I say? Let me find it. Um, okay, I'm going to have to actually click over to the tweet. Somehow when I embed my tweets on Twitter, it doesn't always do it. So I say, it's pathetic that we are supposed to cheer every small increase in women's freedom under Islam. So that's what I say. Now, what does he, and he actually responded. This is the first time he ever responds to me. He says, yes, but it's good to note improvement as well as absolute level. And then I respond back to him Something to the effect of, yeah, okay, fine, you know, note, let's note some improvement. Usually when I see these, because I see these stories ever so often, like they're going to they're gonna increase this, you know, women's freedom in Saudi Arabia this slight little way, like now you're going to get to drive or this or whatever. Now, driving is, is probably bigger than going to sports stadiums. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the value orientation is there. But, um, you know, we're supposed to cheer this, I think, a lot of times I just don't even react to them. But yesterday, this is relevant to what Sarsour is doing. You know, here she is, a woman who is somebody who is oppressed by her religion if she chooses to live any place else here but United States where she can just flap her mouth off with no consequence. Um, you know, here she is. She's trying to defend her religion in immediately in the wake of this violent atrocity that was clearly inspired by her religion. So yeah, at this point, I'm going to respond and, and put this in there. So I tell him, I say, okay, yeah, fine. Note improvement, but bonding to Sarsour who immediately comes in after this. I'll see exactly how I put it. I said, yes, I know, but I'm still reacting to Sarsour jumping in immediately after we learn of today's atrocity to defend her religion. I didn't know what he'd think of that response. So then much later, he comes back and he, he um, responded again to me. He says, yeah, he says, well, she's a bit on the appalling side, granted, <laughs> which is understatement of the world. But my point being, I was pretty excited to have a bit of an intellectual discourse with Jordan Peterson, who I was just talking about last week. And then after I watched his panel at Clemson last week, I ordered his book, which I'm going to try to see if I can wade through. It's it's a it's a massive tome, but I would like to wade through it and see if I could get an interview. And I imagine that my prospects for getting an interview with him would be better having had some sort of exchange with him. I know that we are on the same side with respect to, you know, the necessity to criticize Islam and its attack on Western values. And yeah, I watched this discussion with Camille Paglia and they shared common ground on that as well. So it is nice to have that discussion. Here's some intellectual diversity, right? He's some sort of a pragmatist and I need to 
sort out exactly what his version of it is. Um, something interesting at a, at a more metaphysical level and stuff, you know, and is he going to dismiss my philosophy as scientism in some way or materialism? And it's not, it'd be, it would be a wonderful discussion if I can really get up to speed on, on his ideas. So that's the kind of diversity that would be a value. And I was heartened to have that little bit of a discussion. Um, they're saying that Jordan Peterson is going to be live on the Rubin Report at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, that's awesome. I don't know if I'm going to watch it exactly today because I have other things that I have to get to, but I will watch it. I love that Rubin's show exists, and, and that'll probably help giving me a, a better handle on what Peterson's about if Rubin asks him a really good question. I do. I, you know, I, I like Peterson. I'd, I'd like to have more of an exchange, and that was... That was a bright moment in, in the day yesterday. So let me talk to you guys. I'll go back to the two things at the beginning of the program notes. Like I said, the blog is don'tletitgo.com. You can always find those there. I've got this tweet, nobody can fight for that, which he believes to be impossible. And then the second thing is I've got this article. It's this Brooks editorial from New York Times, When Politics Becomes Your Idol. And the two things together are, you know, contribute to this idea of what I am up against if I was going to try to be a full-time talk show host who could actually make a living doing it. I told you I've been doing the three-day-a-week, and I've been watching the stats at Blog Talk and also watching Revenues, and I've also been talking with Yaron Brook and seeing, you know, he's got a tremendous audience compared to mine He's over on the blaze and everything else and how he's doing. And when I gauge how much I'm able to invest in this and how long it would take, if ever, for me to build up the kind of audience that I would need to in order to make a living doing this, being able to say exactly what I want and being as self-indulgent as I want and just do the stuff that I'm interested in every time I do a show it's just, it's not going to happen for, based on what I've seen, right? And one thing that I have seen, let's go to this, you know, when politics becomes your idol piece, uh, I have seen some drop-off in audience due to my criticizing Trump. And, you know, I, I even had one guy on Twitter, he says, well, are you going to talk? Because there is some there there in this Russian thing. And when I post something about the Russian stuff, I will give you an article and I will tell you exactly the factual tidbit that's in there that makes you think that's something there. I'm not going to give you fake news about Trump, um, but I believe that there's something there in the Russia thing. So there's that. And then in general, he just shows fallacious, horrible, sloppy thinking on Twitter. And I'm going to call him on it and I'm going to do that. And people, I'm going to make people mad or whatever. But I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm just going to be me. And I've seen some drop off an audience. It's hard enough to make it in this business. And I've only got a certain amount of time and money that I can devote to this before I have to make a living. So at a certain point, I have to decide what's realistic. And that's the reason for the tweet when I say, um, you know, nobody can fight for that, which he believes to be impossible. Some of what I'm up against is potentially what Brooks is talking about in this piece. 
Now, it, it talks about psychology, and of course, psychology is not any sort of absolute barrier to a, a spread of ideas, but there is a sort of element in this culture right now that we are up against. Um, you know, they, they talks about in, in America right now, bonds between people are attenuated. They don't have stable families, et cetera. And so, um, you know, ba- basically they are turning to politics as part of their self-concept and then they get all wrapped up in somebody like Trump and things like that. Long story short, that's part of what I'm up against in trying to do this. And so I feel I'm going to go to one day a week and I'm going to be pursuing something else to actually earn the money. I'll continue doing the show. I love doing the show. And those of you who contribute to the show and help make this possible, I really appreciate it. If you get value from the show and you can afford to contribute, please do, because I still have expenses with the show. But I'm going to be here one day a week. I will tell you what I'm pursuing in terms of career-wise. I'll give you updates about that in, in shows to come. But otherwise, uh, look at me you know, being here one day a week. Enjoy, hopefully, all the, all the stuff that I bring to you guys to think about. I've got a little musical interlude at the end, more Duran Duran. And my link to my list, hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. And I will talk to you guys next Wednesday again. It'll be 3 p.m. Eastern time, 12 p.m. Pacific, the usual time. I'm going to stick at this time for now at least. I'll give you notice if I'm I'm going to change it, but I think I'm just going to stick here. And I'll talk to you then. Follow me on social media if you want to keep in touch in the meantime. Take care, everyone.